Does anybody here really like to watch the Olympics? Does anybody like an Olympics watcher like they like to see? Are you more a summer or winter's Olympic guy? You like both? Yeah? You like the Olympics? The summer ones, yeah? Well, we're going to do a little Olympic trivia real quick. However, I don't think you've really been alive long enough for all of these records. But you still might know them because some of them are pretty famous. We're going to test you guys' Olympic trivia real quick. So, number one, in the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul, that was a long time ago, way before I was born. (laughs) Way before I was born. A woman set the 100-meter dash road record in 10.62 seconds. Do you guys know who it is? Mm-mm. Yep, Florence Griffith Joyner. Flojo. Flojo. Flojo, that's right. All right. So, I mean, their names sounded familiar. <laughs> it might, you might, they might have set a record. Okay, number two, do you guys know who holds the 100-meter dash for the men's Olympic record? Yep, yep, 9.63 seconds. That's just so fast. That's like a, that's a football field. That's 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 really far and really fast. Um, do you guys know who holds the record for the most gold medals ever won in Olympic history? Yep, that's Phelps, Michael Phelps. I think he has twenty three gold medals and twenty eight medals overall, which is just crazy. Fun fact: during his training times, he has to eat eight to ten thousand calories a day. Uh, to stay a healthy weight, which is just crazy because he spends so much energy swimming. That's a lot of Big Macs. <laughs> Not as many as you'd think. <laughs> this man, okay, the next guy holds a record for the longest long jump set in 1968 with an amazing 29 and a half, 29 feet and two and a half inches, which is almost the length of that wall over here. Hmm? No, not Carl Lewis. Any other guesses? His first name is Bob. <laughs> no, <laughs> good guess. Bob Beeman. Just a crazy far way to jump. Okay, number five. The next record uh, that we're going to be looking at is who was the first person to get a perfect 10 in the Olympics gymnastic history? No, she wasn't the first. No. Yes, Nadia. Yes. Wow, over there. You got a good memory. How old? I don't know. Yeah, she was pretty young. I don't know. Okay, so uh, the next guy up is a Hulk of a man. And he set the shot put record at 73 feet and 10 inches in 2016. Can you imagine throwing a shot put 73 feet? This, I think this length of this room is 70 feet. This maybe is 60. But it's like further than this room, either way. It's just, just crazy. You guys have any guesses? It's from Montana. His name's Ryan. And his last name, do you have any hints? Okay, no. Ryan Krauser. Just, once again, just this crazy athlete. 
Okay, the last person, my favorite sport to watch is ping pong. <laughs> Number one Olympic ping pong players won the 2016 Olympics. Any idea? He's from China. Malong. An absolute beast of a ping pong player. I mean, Tanner, he would, Tanner, he would crush you, no doubt. <laughs> Yet his backhand is just so precise. His forehand is so strong. And he's such a good strategy player. I mean, every, he sets you up. He smacks you down. It's, he's incredible to watch. I mean, he's, he's just amazing. Enough about Malong. You may be wondering why we're talking about Olympians anyway, because obviously you can see at the top here in our Dream Church series, we're talking about leadership. Why are we talking about Olympians? Well, it's not because they're good leaders. Many of them are not morally outstanding people. But it's because when I was thinking about leadership, I was thinking about, well, there, there has to, what's the limiting factor, right? I made me think, well, what's the limiting factor for Olympians? It's not how hard they can train or how much time they can train. What's the limiting factor? Their genetic makeup, right? No matter how hard they train or how much time they put into training, eventually they're going to hit a cap that is dictated by their genes, right? They, they can only go, do so much and go so far because even though they're these amazing athletes, Olympians are the best athletes in the world, they have a limit. And when we're talking about church growth and we're talking about church health, the limiting factor is the leadership, right? A, a military cannot go above and beyond its leadership. A church cannot grow beyond its leadership. And so I was thinking, you know... Having this limiting factor, this, this leadership, is a lot like the genetics of these Olympians. And if we want to be healthy, if we want to grow, if we want to reach our full potential, it's going to take hard work. But it's also going to take the right ingredients. It's going to take the right leadership. So, unlike genetics, which we have no control over, we do have control over our leadership and, and how we become leaders and what we do. And of course... The best way for us to be leaders is the biblical example, right? Like we don't want to be anything else other than what God has called us to be. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at what kind of good leadership plus hard work gets us to growth. Because that's what we all want. No, I've never heard anybody say, I want my church to stay small. I want it to die. You know, I want us to fade away. No, we want, we want to grow. We want to be healthy. So if you would, please open up to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. And we're going to be taking, uh, we're going to be starting here and taking a look at what kind of church leadership looks like and where it comes from. What's its basis? So, of course, Paul is giving instruction to the church of Ephesus, hence the book titled Ephesians. And he's including this part of, of how the church Functions. And as I'm flipping through here, I, I remember uh, Bob Jones, professor I had at ABC, gave me a hint to remember these Pauline epistles. Go eat popcorn, crazy. <laughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I always remember the order. Or the Georgia Electric Power Company, but go eat popcorn, crazy, speaks more to me <laughs> and who I am. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 7 here. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we've looked at this passage before, talking about the Spirit. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. So Paul starts out by making an appeal to authority before he goes on to list the different gifts that he's going to list. And he wants to qualify his position by saying, listen, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who makes these things happen, right? We're talking about Jesus' dissension. We're talking about his death into the grave. We're also talking about his ascension. Now he's glorified. So he's died for us. He's been seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And it's this Jesus who has filled all things, this powerful Jesus who has given gifts and has given this order to the church that the church be this way and that we recognize these things about the church. So Paul is setting the stage and saying, listen, this is really important. (laughs) Okay? Coming from Jesus himself here. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 11. He has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So Paul uses the word some. He has appointed some in these positions. But earlier he says that according uh, that that Christ give gifts to all men. That he gives gifts to men, but only some are appointed to these special positions, to these things like apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. So it's important for us to say that not everybody, everybody gets a gift, first of all, a spiritual gift. Everybody has been gifted in some way from Christ. But then there are some people whose gifts put them into these particular positions of leadership. So it's a both and yes, everybody's gifted, but not everybody's gifted in the same way. So each of us receives our gifts and our calling, and, but some of them are specific. And they're specific because they are positions over the body. So Paul is making sure that we know that just like a physical body, the spiritual body that we are part of have different parts. And the part that I think we really need to pay attention to is that what are these positions here for? So if, if people are appointed into these places of leadership, what's the point of the leadership? Well, he says it right here. The point is to build up the body of Christ, right? To equip the saints for the work of service. And as an important side note here, who are the saints? We are, right? We are. All of the Christians are saints. We are the saints, the body. There's no differentiation here by Paul. We are the saints. We are the body. And so when these people are given these specific tasks, they're giving it, for the purpose of building us up. These people that Jesus has gifted to be in these leadership positions are here to build us up. We are the saints. In our modern day, we may be, when we hear the word saint, we think of someone who is a little more holy than the rest of us or a little special spiritual connection. But that's just not biblical. The saints are those who are sanctified. We are the saints. So, Going back to equipping and building up the church. I think here is the pivotal point that we, with an implication that is often overlooked. 
When we think about people receiving special gifts, it can sometimes maybe lead to jealousy. Or it can lead to resentment or disdain because why wasn't I given this gift? Or why does that person get to serve in this way? Maybe I don't. Or I don't like how they're leading, and so I'm mad at them. You know, we can, can lead to this kind of resentment. But each gift that Jesus has given, each gift given by the Spirit, is special, and it's not to be used. And here's the important part. The implication of a gift is not to be used for power. It's not to be used for the control of other people, and it's not used for personal gain. Right? We are not gifted for those reasons. People are not given gifts from the Spirit for power or control or personal gain. Why are people given gifts? They are given gifts to use for service, for the building up of the body. Look at Mark chapter 10 here. I have it up on the screen. Calling to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers to the Gentiles lord it over them. That's how power normally works, right? You have power and authority, and you use it to lord over people. And their great men exercise authority over them. But this is not the way among you. But whoever wishes to become greater among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave to all. That's pretty strong language. And Jesus goes on to make his point even stronger. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And this idea of authority in the church really flips the earthly model on its head because you think about who's the top dog in the U.S., the president, right? He has the authority to do all kinds of things. And a part of our responsibility is to uphold this government, to serve the government as citizens. But leadership in the church, it flips this up on its head. The leader's job is to serve the individuals of the church, to build them up and equip them. And so if you're going to serve Jesus, if you're going to do what he wants you to do as a leader, you're going to be actually sacrificing. You're going to be giving up. You're not actually going to be getting. You're not going to be receiving. You're not going to be in this power of authority where your personal gain or popularity or your political standing increases. You're actually going to be giving up something and sacrificing and serving and love. Which I think is really important that as members of the church, we recognize that our leaders and those people who are gifted with special things are not here to control us. They're not here to hurt us. They're here to serve us and to help us. And we are here to serve and help others. So I kind of want to break down the structure as best as I understand it. The biblical view of what God wants from the church. Now that we know where it comes from and what it's here for, let's break it down and look at it. So at the top, we have God, obviously. God is the top dog. As 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, God is even the head of Christ. Right? So we have Christ, and it says that God is the head of Christ, and that Christ is the head of man. And in Colossians 1.18, it says that Christ is the head of the body, talking about the church. Christ is the head of the church. So we have God, and then we have Jesus, and we have the church underneath that. And then the church is broken up in a leadership structure of its own. We have elders, right? 
Now, there are various words used in Scripture, and all of them point to the same idea as an elder. You may have heard the word bishop or presbyter, overseer, and I think that even the words preacher and teacher fall under the same meaning as elder. Right? And there, here's why I think that. 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It appears evident to me that elders are obviously called to rule, to be leaders, and to be preachers and teachers in the church. And they are the ones responsible, I think, the elder positions are the ones responsible for accurate and truthful biblical teaching. They are the ones responsible for the education of the church, for the leadership of this group. But like we already read, the leadership and authority is not to be used for their own power, it's not to be used for personal gain, but elders are called to serve, to be underneath the congregation, lifting them up to sacrifice to make that happen. And, it's the, and as a result, I think this role comes with some respect and it comes with some honor from the people in the church. It's also not a role that should be sought out, right? Elders come being appointed. They are ones, as we've already seen, that are specifically chosen by Christ. And there are a bunch of different qualifications about who is appropriate for this. You don't like just walk into church one day and say, oh, I think I'm going to be an elder today. And you walk up here in the church, you're like, hey, Everybody, welcome. I'm your new elder. Nice to meet you. That's not how this works. There's a list of qualifications, and they're appointed. And they are chosen by other elders of the church, by the people who meet those qualifications. We're not going to get into all of that today, because it's quite a long list. But I just wanted to say that. And also notice, as, as far as I can read, there's nowhere in Scripture that elders serve as just this committee. Right? You may have, I don't know all of your church backgrounds, but you may have heard the phrase, let's just run it by the elders to see what they think. Right? Almost like they are a boss, like signing off on a purchase order at work or something. Like, oh, here, we need to do this. Just we check mark this and let's go. That is not how the elders work. Of course, I think we need to seek out their counsel and listen to wisdom. But they are more than just a committee that approves ideas or picks out the color of the carpet or whatever. They are a central source of leadership in all areas of the church, in teaching and lifting up and serving. And in our elders' meetings, I guess I'm considered one of these elders, even though I'm not technically physically an elder, as my age is considered. But, <laughs> but I, I have been chosen by the church into that role. And in our elders' meetings... We discuss the ways that we can work together to bring about biblical truth. I know that you guys don't sit in on the elders' meetings with us, so you may wonder, what do we even do? Well, we discuss ways that we can bring about truth and teaching and quality in the body. How can we be leaders? And we also spend every single meeting praying for you guys. And every one of our uh, elders, which is four of us, Kevin, Tom, Cheryl, and myself, we spend time in our days and weeks, praying for every single individual in this church. I don't know if you guys have known that, but I think it's good for us to talk about it because you need to know that the elders are not just sitting here minding their business and we meet together once a week to drink coffee and talk about you guys for fun. We are here to help build you up and we're trying to figure out ways to do that. That's our effort. I also want to make a point that um, 
not every single teacher in the church is called to be an elder. So you may be gifted in teaching, you may be really good at education, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be an elder. But I do think that every single elder needs to be at least qualified to teach. That doesn't mean they need to be up here every single week giving a sermon or anything like that. But they need to be able to correctly handle the word of truth and discern. That's a really important part of being an elder. So enough about elders. Let's move on to another position you may have heard about. And in Scripture, the word is deacon. That is a word you may have heard. Now, we don't have official deacons here at North Kent. We'll talk about that in a second. But here is what 1 Timothy 3 says about deacons. In the same way, because I was just talking about elders, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So in this passage in 1 Timothy 3, like I said, I just finished talking about the qualifications of elders. And they're very similar for deacons. And deacons are members of the church especially appointed to take care of special tasks of service. Those entrusted to carry out certain jobs, those entrusted to correctly handle the truth and faith. And notice that with every single position here, there is a level of maturity and faith that is expected. Right? Whether you be an elder, preacher, teacher, or deacon, there is some maturity that has to be there. And the word deacon, by the way, literally means a servant or a slave in Greek. Once again, they are serving, but not in a, in a position of power over people, but they are serving beneath them to lift them up. Right? The word deacon is actually even used of Christ, the slave, the servant who was here to serve. Like, so if you're a deacon, if you're an elder, and, and you're having this level of service, don't take it the wrong way. You're not just a slave. You're there for a purpose. You're in the same boat as Christ. So, like I said, we at North Kent don't use the word deacon officially. We don't have deacons officially. But I do think we have deacons in practice. Right? We may not use that word, but we have them in practice, and that's our cabinet members. Right? Those who are given specific roles and people like the treasurer who are put in charge of organizing ministries. And you may even serve as like a head of a ministry. You may organize something. I think that's a lot about what the deacon is supposed to do. They're supposed to take care of things, organize things, people that can be trusted. So our cabinet, I think, serves in that function. They are other members of the church that are trusted to carry out some of these organizational tasks, these physical tasks, the things that need to get done to make us work as a group. And of course, the last category, which we all fall into, are saints. And saints, like we said, is just another word for Christians. And we also are leaders. We have responsibilities. So for starters, each one of us, as we've already said, is given a specific gift in the body of Christ. And we are to use that gift responsibly, and exercise it in serving others. It's also our responsibility as saints, all of us, to live a life as a witness to those who have not yet accepted Jesus as our Lord. So, this is what 1 Peter 2.12 says about Christians and saints in general. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. I think this is calling us to holy living, to righteous living. That's one of our responsibilities. Every day as we walk around, we are leading. You may not know it, but people are watching you. They are listening to what you say and how you act. Do you get angry? Do you burst out in anger? Do you, you know, at work, do you do things you shouldn't do? Do you steal? Whatever. They're watching you. And as Christians, we are leading in that example and how we live. We are also leaving, leading a life um, where we're responsible for sharing the gospel. Now, there are certain people called to evangelism that are like, that's their full-time thing, they're really good at it. But I think everybody in the church is called to evangelize. This is what just a chapter later, 1 Peter 3.15 says. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. To be prepared to share this good news. Someone says, why are you happy when everybody else seems to be sad? Or why do you have hope when the world seems to be falling apart? That's your moment. That's your opportunity to say, listen, here's why I can get through this in a different way than everybody else. And that is part of our responsibility as leaders of the faith to everybody around us, to be ready to give that answer to be prepared for that. So we lead in every moment of every day. We're leading those around us. And hopefully we're leading them closer to Christ. (laughs) Hopefully we're not leading them further away. Like I said, we are called to evangelism. Not everybody is supposed to be evangelists. I think we're all called to share the word of God, but we're not all called to be preachers. So I want to just look at this structure again, just to lay it out. Church leadership. At the top, we have God. Then we have Jesus. Then we have elders. And then we have deacons and everybody else. Right? And every single one of us has this gift. Every single one of us comes to this church having something to give and to serve with. And we all are our leaders in that way. And so here are a couple of things that I think you should take away. You should think about this week. And I'm only going to make two points. I normally make three. I'm only going to make two. I know I'm getting crazy. Getting crazy. Number one, I want you to dream about your leadership. I want you to ask yourself, what is God calling you to? What are you supposed to grow in this year? How can you step out in faith and help change someone else's life? How can you be a leader? And this applies to everyone, from the oldest of us all the way down to the kids. Brittany, Alyssa, Tommy, Ellie, Sarah, they're, they're all a part of this too. I think some of the best evangelists I know actually are kids and teenagers because they're just willing to do it, you know? And they have the friends and the connections. So everybody, dream about your leadership. I want you to think about over the next five or ten years, who am I going to be? What, how am I going to change? Where do I want to go? Because think about this. Some of you sitting in this room are going to be the next elders in North Camp Bible Church. Isn't that how that works? As people grow and mature in faith, they come into leadership and they move through things. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe I need to be preparing myself for a level of spiritual maturity where I could handle something like that, where I can be trusted with that kind of thing. Some of you are going to be the next cabinet members here. 
Some of you are going to be serving in those roles. Some of you are going to be pulling specific uh, ministries and lifting those up and organizing them. And as you think about who you want to be, what God is calling you to be, how you can lead, think about your gifts and your talents and what he can do through you. Or maybe something you haven't developed yet. Because very often God sees things in us that we don't even see in ourselves. So, number two, as you're thinking about your leadership, I want to make sure that your focus is on service. Make service your focus. Oftentimes, oftentimes we, we walk through life, I think, with a selfish lens. It comes very natural to us. I know, at least for me, I speak from personal experience. I think about my schedule all the time. And I think you guys probably do. Schedules, your schedules. What do you need to do? What do you need to accomplish? What do I want to eat? What do I need to do this weekend? How do I want to spend my money? How do I want to spend my free time? And we think about this eye-focused, centric world. And it comes really natural to us. But if we're trying to be leaders in faith, I think we need to shift our attitudes away from that and onto God. And when we do that, God is going to show us how we can serve him and how we can serve others. More specifically, if you want to take on this attitude, I can tell you for a fact that God is going to take you away from your selfishness. He's going to take you away from that and put you into service. Which means that you're going to probably be giving up some of your time, you're going to be giving up some of your effort, and you're going to be giving up some of your money. If you're going to be a leader in faith, that's what it's going to cost. But it's totally worth it. (laughs) It's totally worth it to give your life over in obedience to this. Because in the end, what are we looking forward to? What is our hope? We're looking forward to the kingdom of God where all of this stuff that's wrong with this age, all the brokenness and the ugliness, the sin and the death, all of that is going to be gone. And that's what a life in obedience, a life of leadership in the faith brings. That's what it brings, this gift of eternal life in a perfect age. So I want to leave you with this image today. An image I photoshopped for you. This is merely for your pleasure. It looks way more disturbing on a big screen than it does on my laptop. Yeah, this is my head on a baby's body. It looks weird, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is it just because it's my face? Or is it because it's not a baby's body? That's the question. <laughs> it looks weird. And this is what would happen if we don't focus on leadership here at church. Right? This is exactly what we would be doing to Jesus if we don't focus on leadership. Because Jesus is a spiritually mature, glorified, excellent head of the church. Right? A fully grown, mature head. And if we are immature, if we don't focus on leadership, we're just this baby body trying to do the work of Christ with this mature head. He can't work through us in the way that he needs to. If we don't work on building ourselves up, if we don't work on being mature. So I'm asking you guys, with me, in a joint effort, will you dream with me? Will you dream about who we can be over the next year? how you can grow, how, how our body can do things together so that we can match Jesus and we can be this strong body that he can use to build his kingdom and to help people and to save the lost and to bring the good news. Will you do that with me? 
Let's work together this year with the power of God on our side. Let's shake things up and make things happen. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for the structure of leadership that you so clearly laid out for us in Scripture. And I pray that all of those members of our church who serve in all these different ways are built up by you so that they can serve you and serve each other so that we can be the church that you need us to be, want us to be, desire for us to be. Christ, I thank you for your leadership. And as we move day to day and week to week and month to month this year, just guide us and help us know where we need to go next. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.